it it made me want to take my kids to a game this summer. It's it sent a jolt through uh, my expectations and my thoughts on what this summer could be. And I, I know it's just one player, but it's 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 more than just adding one bat to the lineup or adding a really good third baseman. It there's a commitment there, or at least a, an investment in doing more than just maybe what the expectation was. I've talked to my my kids. This is how I measure things, I guess, through this lens. I'm like, hey, Cardinals just got the best third baseman in baseball. This is exciting. Now, I don't know if it, <laughs> I don't know if it raised their pulse at all, but it did mine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Join this week, and I'm very excited. We're having, what would this be, like a mashup, a crossover, a, a must-see TV event? We have Mizzou beat writer and host of Eye of the Tigers podcast, Dave Matter, joining me this week. Dave, thank you very much for uh, joining me from snowy Columbia. It is an honor and a privilege. Mashup, I like that one. That, that's a good one. I don't know how much... Uh... The zoo coverage we'll get into probably not because uh, there's enough baseball news to get to, but no, I appreciate it. <laughs> I do, I do want to ask about like the third major league though. At some point in time, like the SEC plans for baseball, um, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, it was like never a question that the SEC was going to play baseball in the coming year, whereas some other leagues are obviously questioning. But that just speaks to. Well, I guess I'll ask real quick, and then we, maybe we can talk about it later. But that speaks to the revenue that it generates, right? Is that partially because right. they put the games on TV, but also the tickets they sell? And not so much in Missouri is it a revenue driver because they still play in front of a lot of sparse crowds on cold, chilly nights. But if you go, you know, south of here, which is everywhere in the SEC, places like LSU and and uh, even Arkansas, which has a, a great following down there, and the Mississippi schools, uh, it's a big deal down there. It's, it, it's, at some places it trumps basketball in the spring. Um, maybe not spring football, but it is the second sport at a lot of places. So it, it is important. I, there were rumblings for a while that college baseball was going to go to maybe just conference schedules, um, or at least some really streamlined non-conference schedules. And not so with the SEC. It's, 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 uh, gung ho, full bomb, all, everybody's in and uh it, it the schedule doesn't look all that different from what it would in a normal season yeah, that's remarkable yeah when i covered i covered lsu baseball for a while and uh you know they would always tie it to like the spring football game but right. even without football there would be the tailgates outside i mean I, i'll i'll never forget like the uh ucla once came to ucla which was a great team chase utley was on that team garrett atkins was on that team and they came to alex box stadium there in baton rouge for a regional, um, for a super regional, um, with the winner advancing to Omaha and, and Ryan Terrio and Mike Fontenot and, uh, that LSU team did advance, uh, eventually to win the, the national title. I believe that was that year, but, uh, but UCLA lost the super regional and then it, you know, we got done writing and you wrote all the deadline stories, wrote all the off to Omaha stories, walked out and the UCLA bus was still there. And the, players were tailgating with uh, some of the LSU fans, wow, the UCLA wow. players, because they just hadn't seen this experience with baseball. Yeah. Just, just it was remarkable. Media attention alone. I remember a few years ago, I was down in Baton Rouge. Mizzou was playing a basketball game at LSU a Saturday afternoon. It just so happened to be LSU baseball's home opener. I believe hmm. Notre Dame was in town. And, oh, with Paul Manieri? Yeah. Yeah. And, or, well, Paul Manieri's former team. Yeah. Right. And – the post-game basketball press conference was pretty sparse in terms of local media. And Will Wade, the basketball coach at LSU, said, where is everybody? And someone said, we're over at baseball, coach. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That started today. So it, it's crazy just to think about that way. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I want to start by asking you this question, put you on the spot right away. Where were you in June 2004? June 2004. That was actually right when I did a little sabbatical between shifts at the uh, Columbia Daily Tribune. I was uh, I, I had just stopped working there. Actually, I'd been the Mizzou beat writer for a while. My plan was to go to graduate school, maybe law school. 
those plans didn't last very long. And I, I was away from the paper for about six months, but that summer was um, right around the time then that I was trying to uh, recharge my batteries and figure things out a little bit. But uh, I was in, I was back and forth between Columbia and St. Louis, just trying to, <laughs> trying to plan the, uh, the next chapter of my life. Wow. Yeah. That's when Yadier Molina made his debut wow. with the Cardinals June 2004, he had two hits against the Pirates, and he has been their catcher ever since, pretty much. Uh, he took over the everyday rule the next season, though you could probably argue that his appearance there in the World Series is what started it in 2004. But, yeah, he, he, had, he had been under contract with the Cardinals going back to 2000 when he was drafted by the team all the way up until this past November, and now he's returning for an 18th season in the majors. Um, you know, I know where I was in June 2004 was starting on the Cardinal beat. I had been yeah. asked, you know, if I wanted to go out there. Well, um, you know, the late Joe Strauss, um, that team was really good. And he had asked about the hockey guy and whether or not he could help out at the ballpark. Um, <laughs> and one of the one of the reasons why I came to the Post-Dispatch was because of the promise to possibly cover baseball. And so that was my audition as well. Wow. Um, it started then. So it, it was like a different lifetime ago for me. It puts it in perspective and just the beginning of your current lifetime now. I mean, I, that, that really puts it in perspective how long he's, he's been part of this organization. Yeah. Yeah. 18 Well, yeah. Drafted in 2018 consecutive years in the majors and, you know, uh, Adam Wainwright, who's also back, um, debuted in 2005, became the closer as everyone knows in 2006. And, They'll be the longest serving battery together of, you know, well, of yours in my lifetime um, and actually going back to expansion when sure. in the 60s. So, you know, they're they're able to now drive a car together because they'll have been 16 years together. Um, and uh, Molina, I believe, with 18 years, he now gets to vote on the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Well, I think that's go. how that works. Right. So it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So from your perspective, and, and Dave, you, you grew up in St. Louis. Everybody should know that. You, right. you uh, What high school did you go to? Uh, St. Louis University High School. Is it, Are there St. any Louis. others? I, I guess there are. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a high schooler. There are others. Yes. <laughs> yes. There are other high schools. Um, I, I had to learn my way around the St. Louis high school landscape. But, but so you have, you have roots here. Um, I wondered from your perspective as someone who – you know, is an excellent journalist and a newspaper man, um, but also someone who grew up here. How how radically has the view of the Cardinals from, say, mid-January to now mid-February changed, do you think? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And um, I look at it like it just appeared that they were going to stand pat and not even stand pat because it, I think maybe things sort of kicked off with the decision on Colton Wong. And so that's, that's not standing pat. That's maybe regressing as far as who you are. Um, and then to move forward with, I, I think from there on the expectation was, and just reading everything you've been reporting and everybody else, it was sort of like, well, they're just going to go with what they have because that's probably good enough to compete in the division, but it's clearly not enough to compete in the national league against the likes of the Dodgers and the Padres and even, you know, some of the teams in the East. Um, but then everything changed with, with Arenado and it's like all of a sudden the Cardinals are back on the, on the brain. If you are just a casual fan of baseball and certainly if you're somebody who follows them on a daily basis, I, I think it just, it, it's so sudden, really. And then it's, you know, you, you add Wainwright, you add Molina. Um, I guess you're not really adding them. You're bringing them back. But but there was uncertainty for, for a while. I guess when the Wong thing happened, just the way I looked at it, like, well, gosh, if, if, that's, if that's the case, then there's no guarantee they're going to bring back those other guys. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, it seemed almost inevitable. And just, you know, based on everything you were reporting, even at the time of the Arenado, it seemed like, the Molina news was just waiting to, to come out eventually. Yeah. And now it's just, everything has shifted to where, okay, this team is, is not content just to be the best team in the central. 
they're going after more. Are they there yet? I, I don't know. Um, I still think, you know, just watching the playoffs last year, those two teams out in the West are just so absolutely loaded and they, and they, they got better over the course of the off season. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the Cardinals made a big statement and, and said they're just not content with just having enough and being enough. It's they want to do more and you give credit to the front office for doing that. I, I wonder, was was it kind of a were they playing kind of a rope a dope all along? Mm. Or or back when the messaging with the Wong decision um certainly didn't indicate they were gonna make this move. Or, or shake things up the way they have. I guess we add in the Dexter Fowler trade, because even though that's a subtraction that's sort of in addition to the playing time that those younger guys are going to get. Um, right. But the, the messaging did definitely seem like um, this is going to be a serious transition year and not necessarily in a good way. Um, was that um, – was it rope-a-dope? What was – did they were they sort of like crossing their fingers underneath the desk when they when they made those comments or was that reality at the time? I think it's somewhere in the middle. You know, ownership said that they were going to have a reduced payroll of some type and that they were going to prioritize bringing back the quote unquote legacy guys, Wainwright and Molina. So they kind of set the table, right? That this right. is the parameters with which they were working with, and they saw a chance to just get out from under eleven and a half million dollar salary when they had somebody who was making the minimum to play second base. So it just was like an $11 million savings immediately that allowed them to then have some flexibility. You know, I don't, there were so many times where it was clear that they shouldn't bank on getting Arenado, um, but should be hopeful of getting Wainwright back, but that he also had offers. I mean, he had an offer from the Padres that might've paid him slightly more. Uh, you know, he had interest from other teams. There were, you know, a handful, four or five that came through there in that week as, as competition for the Cardinals, which prompted them to actually kind of make a a formal offer after just kind of waiting, 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 waiting. Um, you know, same with Molina, you know, Molina had other suitors, two of them signed catchers, um, and he would have been an alternative for them to explore. That's being the Mets and the Phillies. When the Phillies signed Real Muto, they then didn't have a reason to continue pursuing Molina, but he too had to wait for the Cardinals to kind of come forward with an offer. So, you know, ownership kind of prioritized, say, here's our legacy guys, but also got to cut payroll. Uh, How they could acquire a $35 million salary, which Arenado had, and cut payroll was a riddle that they couldn't count on, you know, solving. And you know, even in the days leading up to the finality of the trade, to, to the word going around to the minor leaguers who are actually involved in it or the players who are actually involved in the trade, you know, there were some moments where both sides thought it would fall apart, you know, even in the 48 hours leading up to that. So, you know, I asked Moselec the other day, could you have gone 0 for 3 on these? And, and you know, the answer, he, he didn't say yes, but the answer was yes. I mean, they could, they could have gone 0 for 3. And in a way, you know, this, this goes back to, this goes back to the Azuna Stanton Yelich thing and something that the Cardinals didn't do at that time, which was establish patience. You know, like you think about it, they, they were really concerned about being left out and, and end up of, of going over three. They, they were concerned about going over three. They did not want to get to a point where, you know, Stanton went elsewhere, Azuna went elsewhere, possibly to the Giants, and Yelich didn't move at all. Or Yelich eventually became available and then went elsewhere, and then they were 0 for 3. And when they got to the Azuna conversation, as they worked their way down, you know, if the Marlins were telling everybody, Yelich, Yelich's representative, the Cardinals team's interested in Yelich, that they weren't going to trade him. And so the Cardinals were like, well, we better make a play for Azuna, or we run the risk of going 0 for 3 this winter. And so they're, they, didn't feel like they could bet on the team they had. They needed to get the guy for the middle of the order. And this was the guy available in a way. This winter is the opposite of that, where they were able to show the patients um, say, well, we can stick with the team we have in this division that we're playing and see if the big move happens eventually. 
and wait for it to, to kind of come to fruition. Um, you know, the parallels are there as far as the team that had urgency to make a move and didn't want to be left out versus this team this winter that had one move that it wanted to make and wanted to be available to make it and, and, and was willing to stomach the possibility that they might go 0 for 3 and be stuck with the roster without any of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, I wonder this too, and I've thought of this when I was reading your story in the in the Wednesday paper, and it you touched on it some, but how much did the Arnado trade help reel in Molina for sure? I mean, it, in, in some ways he was dictated by the market, and there's only so yeah. many teams that were going to pay 9 to $10 million for a, a catcher at his age. Um, so the Cardinals were sort of playing poker there. It seemed like they're just seeing who, if anybody would jump on him first, knowing that the Cardinals were still his priority, but did making that commitment to getting the all-star third baseman, did that in any way solidify Molina or, or was that independent of his decision-making? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer it after I tell people about our sponsor. How about that for a segue, Dave? Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off. Get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N. 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. I think there's an I think there's an element to it where obviously having Arenado text Molina about a reunion while while Molina was off at the Caribbean series, you know, added some luster to it. Obviously, you know, it, the improvement and having a star player like that is something that Molina has wanted and wanted to be a part of. Um, so it did help the, the sort of them sell the idea of him returning. Yeah. What I think it most helped with, um, I'm reading into it here a little bit. I'm not, I, I can't, haven't been able to like say, have somebody say this is definitive. So this is sort of informed speculation is I think it helped Wainwright and Molina understand why the Cardinals waited. Um, there was a time and they both discussed this. There was a time there in December, early January where there weren't offers where there was conversation, but it wasn't going anywhere. And that was frustrating to them. Like, if you want me back, want me back. You know, if you want me back, why didn't it come in November? Why are there comments from Chairman Bill DeWitt Jr. about how bringing back the players are a priority, but there's not movement on that front? I think, you know, what you saw in the comments that followed that week, either Wainwright's comments leading up to the Arenado trade or Molina coming out of the Arenado trade was an understanding of where the team's focus had been and why. And because that had paid off, that certainly gave those two players recognition that, okay, wait a minute. It wasn't them slow playing, trying to get, I mean, part of it was to get the best price, right? To, to see what the other options were out there because that's negotiation. So part of it was business, but part of the timetable, part of how sluggish it was, was because the Cardinals were trying to figure out this other deal. And the Cardinals were did keep at least Molina informed a little bit about what they were trying to do, um, but not committing to the possibility of it getting done. Just that, like, look, this, this is going to take us some time. Understand that. Um, and I think once that revelation came through, it did help both of those players go, okay, wait a minute. They, they did want me back. Yes, they wanted them back at, at the Cardinals price point, but they did want them back. And here, there was a reason for the delay. That makes sense. Yeah. There's so much emphasis just on what Molina had to say was, was about the, having to be patient. And it, it almost like he was speaking for the fans too, because they wanted yeah. an answer. And maybe that's a little bit unfair just because this off season is so uh, unlike maybe any other, just because of the questions about, revenue and capacity at stadiums and schedules and all of that. But I, that's why I come back to, you know, I, at some point you kind of have to tip your hat to the Cardinals for not letting all of those circumstances um, become a crutch or an excuse for not moving forward. And cause I'm, <laughs> we know a lot of teams can use that uh, 
you know, to sort of defend their indecisions mm-hmm. at this point. But but they were aggressive on this one, and that's and, and the fans have to love that. So, um, man, how much the narrative has shifted, and like you said, just in the in the past few months. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they 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 probably needed that, right? Like, where from from yeah. your perspective was the Cardinals' brand in all this? I mean, they, they have had thirteen consecutive winning seasons they've been in the playoffs the past two years but you know you think back to 04 05 06 right there at the beginning of Molina's time with the Cardinals to now there's there's a there's there's a different feel about the team right like that that their brand was kind of in in question for sure the word I think of is stale I mean it just Mm. they, they were still competitive absolutely um but it seemed like other franchises maybe have passed them by as just sort of being um, maybe not more interesting, but just more cool. I mean, look what the, the Padres have done. Uh, you look in this, in this division, I don't know the division itself um, that, that might apply to everybody. There's, nobody was really making moves. I mean, the, the Cubs run did not sustain itself, obviously. And yeah. um, the, the Brewers were fun for a while. And then it, kind of fell off a little bit. It seemed like the Reds were maybe going to make that move and made the playoffs, but that didn't last long. And yeah, I, I just think that if, if you're looking, if you're looking up and down the league and you're just a casual fan or somebody without a strong allegiance to one team, the Cardinals just didn't look like that, that fun, aggressive organization compared to what we're seeing with some other clubs. Um, but I think this changes that obviously, I mean, with the biggest, one of the biggest moves of the off season and it, it shows a commitment to being more than just competitive at this point. Now they still got to go out and win the games. And it's, mm-hmm. this, this doesn't, this doesn't uh, guarantee anything, but they're more equipped now than they were, you know, just a few weeks ago. What, what were the Cardinals of your youth? Like, I mean, what were, what, there was still the devotion, the fondness for baseball. And yeah. that was still a time when Peter Gammons was talking about how the best fans in baseball, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, connected to the best team in baseball at right. that time. What, right. what were what were they like then? They were fun. They were uh, so much. I mean, it was the. I kind of compare it now, and I I live in Columbia, and when the when the Chiefs in the last two years have gotten um, so exciting and so successful, even in Columbia, not in Kansas City, in Columbia, like it's all people want to talk about the last couple months. Um, is the Chiefs and they have these this it's not just a good team it's an exciting team that plays maybe a little bit different style than anybody else and that's that's what I kind of remember the Cardinals being it was it was all everybody my age lived for and we're talking at the peak of like the the whitey ball era um, to the point where when they did hit a home run it was like the most exciting thing ever I mean when you go I remember in 19 it was 1987 I was nine years old um we went to a handful of games that season, and I swear, and I don't think this is probably true because he didn't hit that many, but I swear Jack Clark hit a home run in every game I went to. Now, that's probably, <laughs> probably statistically impossible because I don't, I don't think he hit 30, but still, um, I just that it, they, they were the most exciting thing in my world. Um, and it, part of it wasn't just because they were good. It was how they played and how they kind of sold themselves and they were unique. They stole bases like crazy. They had all these vibrant personalities from um, not so much Jack Clark, but Vince Coleman and, you know, you, Terry Pendleton, Tommy Hurd, all the pitchers, um, Ozzie Smith, obviously. And that the brand sort of sold itself because it was just so exciting. And, you know, you, you, at that age, you you memorize every team's stats or every player's stats and you know everything about them baseball isn't that way with the younger generation now. I mean, maybe in, it, it is for some, but just not in the masses. I mean, my kids, are, I've got 11 year old twin boys. They play little league baseball. Um, they don't, aren't that interested in major league baseball. I mean, they'll know a few names here and there, but it just doesn't capture the attention mm-hmm. like it did, you know, for our generation or for, for myself. And the Cardinals were, were so good at it because they were just, they, they were just so alive and, and, and those 80s teams they because they were just so fun to watch. Um, even if they didn't, you know, maybe fit the uh, – they weren't hitting the home runs, but it was a different style and it was it was just fun. The, the, the city lived for it. So do you think it was 
I mean, certainly the style played into it. I get that. But also maybe the fact that like a lot of the fans, whether it be your your father or people around you, they hadn't seen much winning in the 70s in the same way that when Molina started with those teams 04, 05, 06, they hadn't seen much winning through the 90s. And so part of that excitement was the fact that it was, you know, a return to competitiveness as opposed to this sustained competitiveness. Yeah, that was probably part of it. And you, you couple it with the St. Louis football Cardinals were just on their way out and they, they hadn't been good in a while. They were, they were good for, for many years, right on the cusp of being one of the, the great franchises in the NFL. And then things just fell apart. And then that seemed like for years, they were always rumored to be on their way out. So I, I think sometimes teams in the same city can feed off each other. Like, like the, we've seen with the blues and Cardinals when they're both good, but also if one's really mm. bad, that can benefit the other because everybody is locked into the baseball Cardinals. And that's just kind of how I remember it being when, when I was that age. Um, and I think maybe some of it was cause you know, my dad grew up in St. Louis was in high school in the in the sixties. So those great teams in that decade, uh, he grew up on like I grew up on the teams in the eighties. But then you're right. Then then they kind of hit a malaise in the seventies. And for him, I'm sure in his generation it was probably like, oh great, the Cardinals are good again. They're they're not just competitive. They're winning pennants and they have all these all stars and it's fun again. And it, it probably um, that there there probably is some truth to that sentiment. Just how how the franchise kind of recycled itself by the decades do you think columbia at all is a barometer of the cardinals popularity like if um you know if if columbia is talking about the cardinals that's a sign of the excitement around that team versus if they're talking about something else like the next football season or you know the royals sometimes crack the conversation i would imagine a few years ago when they were going to back-to-back World Series, the Royals would crack it. But sure. um, do you think that the the conversation at Booches, um, you know, if it if it veers towards the Cardinals, is any sort of measure of of where they are? <laughs> well, Booches might be a, a biased example because Richard Robertson, their owner, is a diehard Cardinals fan. But um, yes, I do think there's something to that. I kind of I, I look at Columbia as, and I've lived here for a really long time now, longer than I ever lived in St. Louis. Columbia is Mizzou first. Cardinals second, Chiefs third, and it's wow. Basically, because those and, and that would I'd even include that back when the Rams were in St. Louis, um, and because those are the teams that people from either St. Louis or Kansas City grew up on and and have you know more love for. Now, when the Blues are in the playoffs, like the Stanley, when they were playing the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago, um, if you just drove by down downtown Columbia when a game was about to start or on game day, you'd see Blues sweaters and jerseys everywhere. Um, it's it, when the Cardinals are in the playoffs here, back pre-COVID, obviously, um, you know, people would put on their red and go out to to bars and restaurants and, and watch them. And I imagine it probably would have been the same thing with the Chiefs uh, these last couple weekends had there, you know, not been COVID. But um, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a Mizzou place first and foremost, but. You know, there's always off seasons for for football and basketball, and that's when you know, even when the seasons are at the same time, um, a lot of Cardinal fans here, and 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 I, it's not, I don't think it's it's not just people who came here to go to college that were from St. Louis. It's if you grew up in Columbia, um, you kind of got to pick sides, and maybe depending mm-hmm. on who was good at the time, the Royals or the Cardinals, um, you know, you you usually latched on to one of the two. Is the opposite true? I mean, have you seen uh, a fade in the Cardinal paraphernalia, Cardinal hats, Cardinal conversation in the past few years, especially during the three years when they weren't in the playoffs and were kind of stuck in the middle, a little bit rudderless? I I don't know if I've consciously noticed that. Um, You know, I don't. Maybe, though, like if you go somewhere not booches because Cardinals are always on there, but if you go somewhere and it's a middle of May, um, the TV might not be on the Cardinals when normally it would be. And I, I, that's, that's probably more of just um, not an actual thing I remember happening, but more anecdotal. Um, but yeah, I, I, maybe that same excitement has, isn't there right now or hasn't been these last couple of years. Um, but when, when the Cardinals are really good and, and more so when it's closer to October, um, this, this, feels like 
you know, a Cardinals town. And I will say too, when the Royals were, were really good and, and the t- two years they made the world series and won the world series, um, you know, the, the Royals fans, they, now a lot of their Royals hats probably still had the sticker on them because I think there was some bandwagon fans for sure. But the diehards that came to Columbia that were Royal fans and live in Columbia, um, they were really proud and they, they enjoyed that run. I think a lot of it because they knew it, it, it may not be a, a sustained thing like, like it is usually for Cardinal fans. One of the uh, many highlights I had covering Norm Stewart's basketball team there while a student was once there was like a press gathering. I wouldn't really call it a press conference, more of a chance to just chat with the, the coach was at Booch's. Um, Booch's <laughs> is a bar on 9th Street, a burger place on 9th Street, I should say, um, but a bar too. Um, that has pool tables in the back and serves stag and has the uh, the best burger west of the Mississippi. Can you describe for people who aren't familiar with Booches the allure of Booches? Well, it's crazy because it's been in Columbia since the 1800s. It's changed locations a few times. And I never went there as a student, um, probably because it wasn't flashy and loud. And, you know, when you're in your teens and early 20s, you're looking for something more colorful maybe, but wait, what does it say that I went there all the time? Well, I don't know. I was a student. I'm, not, I'm not casting any judgment here. I just, I wasn't even aware of it. I don't think, um, or at least it just wasn't on my radar, but I, but it was like, I went there in high school on my visit. I, I must've lived a very sheltered experience in Columbia during. Sure. That sounds like it. Yeah. No, I will, the colors and the loud guys, music and everything. It sounds like you're the sheltered one, not me. Yes, I'm, I'm. I'll say it. No, my, I mean, my wife grew up in Columbia, and she it was like a regular for her and her family. So I think I was the oddball. But once I did maybe discover it or enjoy it, um, you know, right after college, you know, it, it became a, a staple. Um, they don't take cash, uh, it, or I mean, they don't take cards. It's cash only. There's no menus. There's a menu on the wall. They don't have French fries. It's chips or Fritos or or something in a bag. Um, the burgers are more like sliders, maybe bigger sliders, and um, and they're incredible. You, you can sit there and order three or four. I usually I'm up to three. I think is is good for me. A fourth will you know throw off my next day and not not make me feel great. <laughs> um, but there's there's only two TVs in there. The Cardinals are always on if 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 they're playing. Uh, there's baseball uh photos and kind of paraphernalia all over the place it's not not a mizzou bar i'd, I'd say it's probably more of a cardinals bar um just with with a lot of stuff that richard has put up on the walls um so yeah it's it's a it's there's nothing sexy about the place but but it's uh it's a staple and my kids are my, I, my kids are almost tired of it because we go there so often even even in covid times we'll mask up because it's it's a good place for social distancing because not a lot of folks go uh, on the weeknights, especially, and you can find yourself a table and, and cozy up and, and order some burgers. Do they still have the post-dispatch there in the hard copy on the tables? No, unfortunately not. Uh, no, That's something I always remembered was that head table, which often had a reserve sign on it, um, would always have a scattering of the daily newspapers. I'm afraid we've passed that, that, that time has passed us. Yeah. Everybody's on their mobile phone reading the post-dispatch, right? right? That's what you're saying? Yeah. No, they're definitely reading it. They're just not the hard copy. (laughs) How has been, how has it been covering college sports in this COVID time? Like it's, it's different than, than the experience I would imagine I had covering major league baseball. It's a, it's a challenge. Um, you know, for football, uh, I went to every Mizzou football game this year. I, I was the only reporter who went to every road game. Um, a few went early on when you could, like maybe a place you could drive to, like Tennessee, um, but places where you had to fly, South Carolina, Florida. I was the only regular one there, and, and a couple of us were at Mississippi State, another drivable game. Excuse me, um, but you know you all the interviews post game are on zoom. Um, some, sometimes you can't even talk to the folks from Missouri's administration at a game, which is usually a valuable thing to do Just strike up a conversation, you know, get some notes or, um, you know, kind of have some, some, uh, get some stuff maybe off the record, uh, just kind of where things are headed developments that are happening. But 
sometimes they're in an area of the stadium where they can't even have face-to-face contact with, with the media. So um, yeah, it stinks because I, I love being at the game. I, for basketball, I'm not, I haven't gone to, I don't think I've gone to any road games. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's hard. Not, not many people are actually in the sec, even pre COVID, not many other markets sent their reporters to road games, especially in Columbia, which is like the Northwest outpost of the sec. It's just not a big of a media deal uh, in this conference. Now, Kentucky, their crew would always go to road games, Arkansas for the most part, maybe Tennessee, if they're good, would send a writer, but you don't see Florida beat writers, South Carolina beat writers making the trip to Columbia, Missouri pre COVID times. So, um, that's not that unusual now that there's no travel, but for me, I would always go to road games and I'm, I'm not this year. Just the, again, it's the, the access is, is zoom only uh, basketball. I think you can, you can see the whole game on TV much better than you can in football football. I really think you have to be there to see it all. And mm. it stinks though. I, I, I hate it. I hate writing a game story off of TV broadcast, but also the way that they're canceling these games, the day of the game, or at least the night before in some cases, you know, it's, it's the old cost benefit, you know, analysis. Is it worth getting in a car driving eight hours to Oxford, Mississippi for a game that might be canceled while you're halfway there? Uh, so I, I hope this is just a one-off for this year and get back to covering everything in person because that's the only way to do it. That's the only way I've ever known to do it. Um, and then we just kind of hopefully get back to some sense of normalcy with coverage. That was my, uh, that was my Detroit gambit. Was yeah. do I start the drive to Detroit from Milwaukee when the Cardinals were in isolation there at the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee? Uh, do I make that drive knowing that the Cardinals might not head there at all? And in the end, didn't. Um, but there was a day there where it was like, okay, I need to start the drive to Detroit or else I won't make it there in time for a doubleheader that starts at 11 a.m but I can't be sure that the Cardinals are going to leave at all. And how far will I get to then only turn around? What's, what's the play here? Right. It was, you know, that was, it was constantly like that. So you didn't, you didn't want to end up with a Detroit conundrum. <laughs> right. And it's, and in the end, I never went to Detroit all those times that it was rescheduled. <laughs> even at one point in time, the Cardinals were going to play all the games against Detroit in Detroit. If like people remember that right. brief flicker of a moment where, the Cardinals were like, look, Detroit's doing us a solid. We'll move our home games there. They were going to play four games there. Right. Those didn't happen either. And then Detroit had to come to St. Louis. It's just Detroit for a moment was like, all right, well, we're never going to go to St. Louis and then ended up only playing in St. Louis. And then Chicago with Chris Bryant was like, oh, we have to play in St. Louis and then never played in St. Louis. <laughs> right. Such a fascinating schedule. What from from. From your perspective, what was that like to kind of watch the baseball season then unfold? Because in a lot of ways, the baseball season last year was a lead in to what you could expect for the SEC as as far as like, you know, could they pull it off? There was there were some similarities there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it proved that if you're agile and you're flexible and put aside sort of some of the I'm talking more about the teams than the media put aside some of the petty grievances you might have about start times and uh, fairness when it comes to scheduling if you can put those aside for this year knowing that hey this is a this is a one-time deal hopefully cross your fingers hopefully um, you can you can change things in a hurry and reschedule so that the greater good is you get the games in and you get the season in um, and, and I think baseball, it was messy at times. Sure. Absolutely. But did they, was the, the greater good accomplished of getting the season completed or at least completed in some form or fashion? I know everybody didn't play the same number of games, um, but get to a world series to crown a champion. The answer is yes. And the sec for football um, I, I thought what they did really smart was they waited and waited and waited until they had to make a decision. They didn't want to make a decision in June about something that wouldn't happen until August or September. Um, again, it led to, you know, the public, the media, everybody else wondering like, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Well, you're waiting for to see how this all unfolds. Mm-hmm. And, and they made the right call. I thought and they, they played uh, 71 games. Uh, you, everybody had 10, 
10 games, and then you include the conference championship game. They ended up playing 69 out of 71 games. Now, I think five, 10 years from now, we'll be able to look back uh, and have a better view of things. Was that the right decision to make? Um, look at it ethically, look at it financially, uh, all of those different ways we can view these decisions that are being made in real time. But they did get the season in. They did crown a champion. Um, I think there was some closure that we didn't know if that would ever happen as far as just getting that season completed. And they also proved that you can improvise these things if you have to. I mean, I think out of Missouri's 10 games, seven of them were displaced at one time, either the the location or the date. Um, They were all shuffled around for the most part. Sometimes you didn't find out and who you were playing on Saturday until Monday. That's not ideal, obviously, for a sport when you only play so many, you know, X amount of games a year, 10, 12, not 162. So your every game is a is a major, major factor in what your record is going to be um, and w- what that means for everybody involved, uh, coaching security and everything. If you're nimble enough to where you can – improvise on the fly like that, then, then that can help you in the future with scheduling and things happen and uh, it's mishaps along the way. So uh, yeah, I, I, you give credit to baseball, you give credit to the NBA to some degree, although they use the bubble approach, which was different than what anybody else did really out, outside of major league baseball playoffs. Um, but I think everybody learned a little bit that you, you can, we don't have to be so set in our ways just because you did this the way, did it this way for a hundred years you can't adjust. Uh, I I just hope that, you know, I hope everybody gets to enjoy it more in the future, not just we in the media, but, but the fans too. Yeah. Yeah. The ballparks felt hollow. It'll be interesting to see if there's some fallout from baseball or some lesson learned as far as rainouts or rain postponements. Do all of a sudden now the seven inning double header becomes something um, and how they work out tickets in that regard. Right. Because if you have a rain check, does that mean that you just get to choose a date down the road um, for that game because and then the the next day they get the bonus of a double header seven innings or how that all works out but I, I think there are some things from this past year that that you know that will have lasting effect and that even goes in game preparation you know we see now such an advent and mizzou baseball is definitely you know in the midst of this where they use so much technology right and there's such an emphasis on pre-scouting and pre-prep and knowing everything from you know, when a pitcher uses a slider to the break on that slider to, you know, pitch tipping to virtual reality to rap. So to all this stuff and you get the sense that last year, some of that was taken away from hitters because they couldn't go into the batting. They couldn't go into the video room. And so how they had to adjust. And some hitters talked about how they struggled with that. You know, Christian Yelich has talked about that. Um, You know, some of these other hitters who, uh, you know, the Dodgers have a really strong, uh, program that they use uh, with all the tech and with all the preparation they do for the hitters. And some of that was stripped away from them this past year. So, you know, do the hitters, you know, with the opportunity rush right back to that or do they become more self-sufficient and how does that then translate onto the field? Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of elements here from, you know, f- not just health and safety and obviously, you know, the losses everybody's had, but, right. you know, beneath the, the surface of the tragedy and beneath the surface of the, of the, the fright that the pandemic brought are these elements that we'll see um, years to come, how they change the sports we cover. Uh, you mentioned, so in your youth, Ozzie Smith would have defined it, correct? Yeah, he was probably the biggest, biggest star for sure. Maybe not everybody's favorite player, but as a kid, but yes, biggest star for sure. So where in that galaxy then do you think Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright now fit as far as Cardinal legends or Cardinal legacy players as they as they were calling them this year or Cardinals icons if you really want to elevate the the word um you know wh- where do they fit and then the other part of that did they have to finish their career as Cardinals for that to be cemented uh, that's a good question um I think Yadi is right up there if not, he may have eclipsed. Um, I look. I, I looked at Ozzy Smith through the lens of a of a child, and now obviously Yachty as an adult. So you you, you maybe value things a little bit differently. Um, but I, I think he has to be right up there. And and 
today, like, you know, when my kids play little league or, um, you're around little league parks and, you know, they, they may not talk about the, the major league players like we did when we were kids, but they know Yachty. If you see, if, if anyone's got a, a Jersey on with a Cardinals t-shirt with a number on the back, it's most likely going to be him. I mean, my, my kids, we took them to Cardinal games when they were really little. That's the shirt they got. That's the player they recognized when they heard the names be uh, announced uh, during the game, who's batting. That's the name they got excited for. One, one side note, they were, so we took him to a game. It, our youngest who's four, Will, he was there. He was maybe two. So this must've been two years ago. Um, you probably correct me cause you probably remember the game, but we had really good, <laughs> we had really good seats. They were so excited to see Yachty. It was against, it was a game where Waka threw a one hitter. I believe it was a Sunday afternoon game. And mm-hmm. Yachty got ejected in the first inning, <laughs> and I don't even remember what for. And they were just so they were crushed because they came to see him and they they got him they they got to see him bat once, and that was it. Uh, um, Ozuna hit a grand slam in the first inning. I remember that much. Um, but that but they they got over and it, it gave us a good story um, because of their favorite player they got to see just a glimpse of that day. But yeah, I, I think going back to your original question, I, I think his. I think he's right up there, if not if not beyond what what Ozzy was. Because even even older fans remember Ozzy as a Padre to some degree. There's no other. There's no memory of Yachty in any other jersey, um, and and I'm sure fans hope there never will be. Uh, with and you kind of I guess you can compare it to Pujols a little bit. Um, obviously, his glory years, his best years, were in a Cardinal uniform, but he did leave and play for somebody else, and I think that does. does maybe discolor the legacy or just the, the memories to some degree. Well, his 3000th hit was in a different right. uniform His right. what 500th home run was in a different uniform His 600th home run was in a different uniform. The, the RBI record could be in a different uniform. Whereas with Molina, you know, that's what I wonder is if, is if he spent the coming year in pinstripes, whatever color those pinstripes were, or if he had a halo on his Jersey, yeah. uh, would that change his place his number would still probably go up on the wall. Um, but it would be interesting if 162 games one summer elsewhere changed, you know, his status. Um, because like you said, Ozzy Smith's different time was before Four. he became a Cardinal, right? Not after, right. You know, Matt holiday had the time with the, the Rockies before, but he then also went and played for the Yankees and went and played for the Rockies. And how does that, you know, change the view of him you know it's it's an interesting thing like you know and and i guess you're probably well positioned to answer this is you know is it coming to st louis and staying is it always being in st louis because it it sure seems like a big part of it is coming to st louis and staying right and i think that's a i think that's a major factor but then i also think back to look at the look at the recognition that pujols got when he came back a couple years ago great point Um, didn't seem like fans were uh, holding any grudges then. I mean, uh, so yeah, and obviously at different circumstances because he wasn't as peak anymore. And I think people were probably as they were standing and applauding were also hey, thankful that the Cardinals didn't spend on him maybe what what the Angels did. Um, but there there didn't seem to be any ill will at the time, uh, both ways. And and so maybe this is a, this fan base is maybe a, a little bit unique in that they'd maybe not get caught up in that, in that stuff. If Yachty would go play for the Yankees or the angels. Um, so it's hard to say for sure, but, but I, I don't think it would have changed a whole lot in terms of just legacy. Hmm. Yeah. Especially I, if the I don't Cardinals know. win after he leaves. Now, if the Cardinals go in the tank after he leaves and they, and, and whoever the catcher is, is no good. Now that, that could change everything then. Well, yeah, that's a, I mean, cause it is all hindsight. Like the question I'm asking you is to, to kind of polish up the, the crystal ball and tell me what's going to happen. You're right. I mean, it's all, it's all hindsight circumstance that, that then colors. I don't, I still think that if he finishes his career, even if this is kind of the farewell tour for that battery, um, you know, them finishing their career together right. sort of gives an ending to the story and endings matter. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And I think, and I, I guess I didn't touch on, Wainwright, um, I think maybe maybe there's more for 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 kids who, you know, who do they idolize? 
part of that's just based on maybe when they go to the games and who they see. And you've got a better chance at seeing Yachty than you do Wainwright just because he plays every day. Um, so maybe that that changes that a little bit. But I think that in some ways they're always going to be paired together. And some of that's mm-hmm. just the imagery of seeing them embrace each other after a, a big win. Um, the fact that they play the position where one is throwing to the other one the entire game. Um, they're just linked. And then the, the, the friendship and that they have together and the stories that you have told over the years about how close those guys are and how genuine that is. Um, I think that really resonates with people too. So there is um, some real, it, it, there's some real meaning there that they're, they're doing this at the same time when their careers have really paralleled each other. All right. I promise an SEC question. Mizzou baseball, uh, you know, like I said, stuck in the, like the third major league of baseball. Um, and also, uh, the northernmost team in a league that has the benefits of being the southernmost for a lot of, uh, big, um, baseball programs. Can they, I mean, it's so interesting to think that they could be a top 25 team, but not be top six in their own. Right. It's hard. It's so hard in this conference. It's, I think Missouri is up against more adversity, and challenges, maybe not adversity, just challenges in the SEC and baseball more than any other sport. A lot of it's financial, a lot of it's weather related. Um, I thought Tim Jamison early in his, his time in the SEC, late in his time at Mizzou, did a really good job of just sort of um, using that to their advantage. It was all a mindset of, hey, we're going to play these games colder temperatures than Florida or South Carolina. Um, but we're going to be stronger for it. And and I think Steve Beezer is developing that. Uh, It's such a shame what right when this program seemed like it was ready to take that next big step last year, they had a really good team, you know, COVID Mm -hmm. happens and COVID happens and um, you know, they end up losing a few guys that either were drafted or went ahead and signed after that really weird short draft. Uh, But they, they, he has steadily built a really good team, but the, tough thing is to compete in the sec you can't just being really good isn't good enough you look at the preseason top 25 it's all the sec and missouri's not there but i think they can be really competitive um you know vanderbilt's elite florida's elite old miss is elite right now um teams like texas a&m and arkansas are always going to be good so they are up against it for sure but but i think he has steadily built a pretty good thing there they're recruiting really well they target a lot of junior college kids um they have, you know, in college baseball, when, when you – it's recruiting so tough because the best players that you sign don't end up playing for you ever because they get drafted really high. Missouri's had a few of that, a few of those situations. Devin Williams is probably the best example. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then they, they signed – I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He was the outfielder from California. He was in the Lindor trade. He was traded from – Yeah, Mets. Yeah, Mets to, traded him, yeah. To the Indians. He was signed to play for Missouri. Uh, if he wouldn't have gone as high in the draft, he'd, he'd probably be on the team right now. So uh, I, I think they're doing a good job. Um, they don't have much of a home field advantage just because it just really hasn't caught on with the fans, especially the students. They just and this year's going to be tough with with COVID protocols. Um, but I, I think he is he's building something. It's just it's just so hard in that conference. I think you know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you have to play a different style of baseball at home. Yeah. than you do on the road and you know the limited scholarships are a big part of that because they need to bet on position players coming there without a scholarship so they can spend their scholarships on high-end pitching otherwise they can't compete i mean it's just it's a it's a different way to build a team and it, it's such a and it, it's a bit of a puzzle too it's in some ways being mizzou of the sec is like being the rockies of the national league yeah. it's you have to figure out a way to to build a different roster to compete right. um, because of the circumstance, you know, or because of geography. That's, that's basically it because of geography, you know, you have to build a different team and how you apportion those scholarships um, just like the Rockies with how they develop pitching. It's just a, a different thing. All right. So as a beat writer covering college, that's different than like beat writers covering pro because you have to be sort of uh, multitasking. You have to be interdisciplinary where you cover multiple sports. And so I want to close with this question. It's only a huge one. So good luck with it <laughs> is you, you know, cover 
basketball and football on a daily basis. Um, look for stories in the non-revenue sports. You'll, you'll write baseball. Dave, wh- what's your fondness or appeal for baseball? Where where does it fit now in the in the galaxy of things? Because it it right now is on a on a on a perilous at a perilous point um, because of labor discussions, because of labor strife, um, because of the possible, you know, expiration of the, well, the looming expiration of the CBA and possible work stoppage. So from someone who is a sports fan who has St. Louis roots, but also, you know, is an ink stained wretch like me, yeah. for you, where, yeah. where is baseball right now? Where does, where does it fit? And why are you fond of it? I, I love baseball. I I probably I'd probably get more attached to it and more, much more interested in it when football and basketball, at least in my world, have died down. Um, there's this void, and then I I get much more interested in it. And I, I I'm interested in our coverage in the Cardinals year round. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and I, I try to stay on top of the news. Oh, flatterer. <laughs> <laughs> but but as far as just like okay now I'm really dialed in and I want to watch these games and I want to really enjoy them um, my interest kind of ebbs and flows especially if you get into October and let's mm-hmm. say the Cardinals aren't in it anymore and locally you know my radar kind of shifts to what I'm doing uh, and then even like with the NFL or the NBA um, for for me and that and that's a change for me when I was a kid growing up. If there was a, let's say it was a World Series and it was the Reds and, and the A's, uh, which I think was what, 1990, um, I watched every pitch, every pitch, every at bat, uh, even if it wasn't the Cardinals, uh, if it was the Giants and the A's, um, the, the Dodgers and the Reds in the, in the playoffs. I, I remember watching those games. I remember where I was. Now, if it's, the Yankees and the Giants in the World Series, it's just not on my radar as much. And it's it's for me, I'm I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's just I don't like the the game as much or if there's just more stuff going on. Probably has more to do with having three kids and you're just kind of like you're scrambling to get through the day. <laughs> um yeah. but I, I'd probably tune into a, uh, a a random Thursday college football game maybe faster than I would the ALCS. And mm. some of that, some of that's probably just the entertainment value, the, the pace of play, all those things that baseball is trying to fix. Um, and that's not to say I don't enjoy baseball at all. I'd, I'd, I'd rather if, if I had my choice of going to a live event uh, just as a fan, it would be a baseball game. There's no doubt. I think just because the atmosphere, you're outside, um, you know, it's, it, it kind of stirs up memories of my childhood things I did with my dad growing up. I like to take my kids to a game. I took them a couple of years ago. Uh, Mizzou played a basketball game at Ole Miss on a, on a Saturday night. I made a, a weekend trip with it with my, my two boys. They were probably nine at the time. Um, got them tickets to the basketball game. But on, on Friday, we, we went down Friday afternoon. We went to Ole Miss baseball game. It was their opener. I don't even know who they were playing. It was some directional school. But for me, it was a thrill because, hey, taking your kids to the baseball game, Mm-hmm. Place we hadn't been before, and that was that was perfect. That to me, that would have been more exciting than just taking them to some random college basketball game. Um, so yeah, that part of it I still love, and and still, um, it, it I, I hated that last summer not being able to take my kids to Bush Stadium or over to Kaufman for a game to see the Royals because of COVID. Um, so that part is still resonates with me. The live aspect going there. Um, but just as far as the sport itself, just seems like it's in my consciousness on my radar. It's it's slipped behind basketball and football a little bit, and maybe that's because that's what I cover. So I'm I'm more so than I than I do college baseball. I like writing about college baseball. I really do. I like the the folks over at Mizzou, whether it was Coach Jay's staff um, or what Coach Beezer's doing now. Um, they mm-hmm. love the attention. They really do because they don't get a whole lot of it, and it's a fun game. It's a completely different game than major league baseball not just because of the bats um so it's i think it's really really interesting i I wish i wish readers and fans would be more interested and i think maybe we'd cover them a little bit more but you know we're kind of 
so much dictated on, well, what's our audience? Do they really care? Well, if they don't care, if it's not moving the needle, then should we invest in that? Um, I kind of wrestle with that every spring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love baseball. I really do. I want to see it um, flourish. I'm excited for Cardinal fans that this isn't going to be a year where they're just kind of like, okay, well, let's wait till these contracts come up and see what 2022 is going to be all about. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I just, uh, you know, read all the headlines and read all the columns. And Ben Fred's been writing a whole lot about the CBA and, and, and everything that could be looming. And that, that worries me because I remember, you know, that, uh, was it 94, the season that didn't finish. And, um, man, I, I, I don't know if the sport can, I wouldn't say survive, but I don't know if it can thrive again in the, in, in the short term, if, if, if that happens again. I learned a lot about baseball by being out at the Mizzou field and watching their style of play, but also watching their practice. Um, but, and, and also the time that TJ gave me, you know, just to talk pitching and the players that were there, um, whether it was just talking through, you know, after games or, or even sitting there talking to scouts during games. And I I mean, I learned a lot by going to Stillwater for those weekend series between the, the Oklahoma state and Mizzou and just getting to see what a program, a baseball program like that was like um, under, under holiday and, uh, you know, Ward. So, you know, it just was, uh, and I guess now it's under second generation holiday, but the, you know, just the, the chance there. So I'll close with this. Did the last 12 days reinvigorate, draw you back, change the level of interest that you thought you'd have in the Cardinals? Yes, absolutely. It did. Um, it, it made me want to take my kids to a game this summer. And not that I wouldn't have before, because it's it's when you're taking your kids, it's still about the experience. But um, it's it's sent a jolt through uh, my expectations and my thoughts on what this summer could be. And I I know it's just one player, but it's 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 more than just adding one bat to the lineup or adding a really good third baseman. It there is a commitment there or at least an investment in doing more than just. Um, than just maybe what the expectation was because the expectation I didn't think was, was great. I mean, I, I dip into your chats every week and, and Ben Fred's and it was, it was a grim outlook uh, for what this was going to be. So yes, absolutely. I've I've talked to my, my kids. This is how I measure things, I guess, through this lens. I'm like, Hey, Cardinals just got the best third baseman in baseball. This is exciting. Now I don't know if it, (laughs) I don't know if it raised their pulse at all, but it did mine. And for this team that's always relevant, but to be more relevant is, is, is nothing but exciting. And I'm excited for, for you and for the guys that get to go out to the the park. I know it's your job and you've got to do it regardless, but um, to, to cover a team that looks to be more exciting, um, more, more relevant than usual even is, is great for us. That's Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can find him on Twitter at Dave underscore Matter, uh, Dave underscore Matter. And he is also the uh, co-host with Ben Fredrickson of Eyes of the Tiger. He has a chat every week, just like uh, most folks at the stltoday.com, which is where you can find all of his Mizzou coverage there and in the pages of the Post-Dispatches. And I would say um, on the tables at Booches, but they don't do that anymore. So. <laughs> You can find the Eyes of the Tiger podcast and best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts available at stltoday.com and both are available on iTunes. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closets, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. The official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. This might be the best podcast, the last best podcast in baseball before recording from Florida, as strange as that sounds, Dave. So you uh, you, you might be the send off here for me as go. I as I head south uh, for for spring training as they get ready to start on time. February 17th is when the Cardinals are set to start. They will play a modified Grapefruit League schedule, um, playing all the teams within that tight region on the east coast of Florida. Um, So fewer games, but also fewer travel. That's set to start at the end of February. Lots of protocols in place, lots of safety policies to go over, and that includes for us. But 
Where the Cardinals go, the post-dispatch is always gone, and that is going to be our commitment to the subscribers. We're going to do our best to cover from where the Cardinals are um, and bring back stories uh, that are exclusive, but also make the commitment that really, you know, spring training is a time when the post-dispatch has devoted such uh, manpower and invested so much into the coverage because we recognize that that's when interest is high and that's also when a newspaper like ours that is committed to baseball coverage should shine and we take that responsibility seriously so uh dave thank you for being a colleague thank you for joining me on this podcast um let's let's make a deal i have longed to have a host a podcast at booches can we pull that off i i think we can i i don't um now they don't have i don't know if they have a wi-fi network um, but they've got electricity, so there's got to be a way to figure it out. I think we could. We don't need to do a live podcast. We can, we can just it. do a pod. Yeah, we could record it. It'd just be us eating burgers. It'd be great. Right, right. And maybe a it is. It is a dream of mine to host a podcast at Booches. Is that wrong? No, no. I mean, I, we could we could just scrap this one and start over. I could head down there now. We could do it. All right, let's. Yeah. We, oh, why didn't you do this live from Booches? That would have been great. Hmm. My bad. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. <laughs>